Well, we've got to part number three of our Real Religion series, and uh, um, it's a five-part series that we're, we're going to be doing, so we'll be in it for the rest of uh, July. But, uh, but today, we're going to continue a little part two of what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about real and pure, or pure and genuine religion in the sight of God is when you care. And we're going to be continue to that, and we're going to look about what it means to actually care, and, and what 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 uh, do we have to do to care for others. But before we do that, um, one of the popular TV shows of uh, the last couple of years is a TV show called The Walking Dead. Anyone like The Walking Dead here? Some some of you. I've like I've never seen it like properly myself. I never really got into it. It's kind of weird. Uh, but anyway. What it's about is about this guy called Rick Grimes, who uh, uh, is a uh, sheriff's deputy. He uh, uh, Something happens, he goes into a coma, and when he wakes up from the coma, then the world is totally changed because the zombie apocalypse has happened, and there's zombies everywhere. He can't find his, uh, his wife and his kids, and so he comes, uh, wakes up from, from, the, uh, from the coma. He goes out into the world, realizes the world is totally different, and the whole thing about The Walking Dead is about the, trying to survive in this new world where zombies are everywhere, um, and then they find, he finds other survivors, and then some of the survivors are good, some of them are bad, and everyone's fighting against everybody. And that's basically The Walking Dead in a nutshell. But so it uses a word, and there's a, a the characters in there. They are zombies. Well, zombies are like huge. Everybody loves zombies right now. Like all like movies and TV shows are about zombies. Um, you can even buy like uh, uh, like guns now. Like you can actually go to a gun store, and they got like zombies on it. So if the zombie apocalypse does happen, like you're prepared for it and stuff like that. But zombies are everywhere. But the word zombie actually is a word that derives from voodoo witchcraft. And what it actually means, it means an undead creature that once was a person who has died and now has been reaminated without their soul and they are known as the spirit of the dead. So that these people that go around, they're not really people anymore, but they're kind of alive, but they're kind of dead as well. And so, uh, to burst your bubble, a lot of people out there, I've actually heard some like crazy scientists saying that zombies like could take place. There are actual real zombies and the zombie apocalypse could actually happen. Uh, but to burst your bubble, if you're thinking that, then uh, zombies are like not real. I'm just going to tell you, zombies are not real. But what if I told you this morning, how would you feel if I said that there were a bunch of Christians who actually acted like zombies. There were Christians out there who I think uh, you could call zombie Christians or Christian zombies. How would you feel if I told you that? How would you feel if maybe there's some people in our church who are Christian zombies? Would you get offended by kind of me saying that? Or would you be intrigued? You're like, Alex, what on earth are you talking about? Well, the book of John, the gospel of John tells us that, that we need to to be born again, that if we want to have Jesus in our life and follow Jesus and experience the salvation and faith there is in Jesus, John says that we need to be born again. It means that we need to come back to life and have a new life. Then the book of Ephesians that was written by the Apostle Paul tells us that we were once dead in what he calls our transgressions and our sins. 
but Christ has made us alive again. So the good news is if you are a Christian, you were once dead, but Christ has given you new life and now you are alive once again. So that's the good news. We were dead and now we are alive. However, the book of James, and we've been looking at some of the scriptures from the book of James through this series. The book of James tells us that our, if our faith is not followed by good deeds, then our faith is in fact dead. He says it's dead. It's not alive. It's dead. If our faith is not followed by good deeds, then it, it is in fact dead. And this is what it says. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And we're going to start reading at verse 14. It will be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. But this is what James says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. And he says this, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, James says. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And then we'll skip down to verse 26. And James finishes chapter 2 by this. He says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So James is basically saying this, if our actions do not show our faith, then our faith is dead. So then I say, what is the difference between someone who has faith but doesn't show it by their actions and a zombie? They're like the same thing, right? Because a zombie is someone who is alive somewhat, but their body or their soul and their spirit is dead. And a Christian who just has faith but doesn't show it by their actions and their deeds and doing things for others is exactly the same. They're like this religious zombie that is mildly alive, but their spirit really is dead because James says that faith without good deeds is dead. See, this is what we would be if we just had faith without the good deeds. We would be people who practice religion without really experiencing real religion. See, we would be religious people without ever experiencing what religion is all about. And so last week we talked about pure and genuine religion in the sight of God is when you care. 
care for others. And James gave the example of caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And so this morning, what I wanted to do, I wanted to give us some examples from the Bible of how we care, who we care for, and what we as Christians, what our responsibility is to the world out uh, uh, around us so that our faith is not a dead faith, but it is alive and it is real. See, it is through the action of caring that our faith comes alive. See, if we don't care, then our faith is dead. And then if we don't care, we're like those Christian zombies. And I'll be honest, I'm like, I've never seen a zombie face to face in real life because they're not real. But I've seen them on TV and I'm like, I don't want to be known as a zombie. I don't want to be like one of those crazy, like they're like floating around and like trying to like kill people and stuff like that. I don't want to be known as a Christian zombie. And so the Bible tells us in a few areas that the ways that we can care. And so this morning we're going to look at a scripture in the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 1. And this is, uh, the book of Isaiah is, is basically a, a, a book about a man called Isaiah who was a prophet of God uh, who gave the message of God. A prophet is someone who hears from God and then tells the message that God has to other people. And so Isaiah starts off, his, and, and, the, uh, and the book of Isaiah is like the longest uh, 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 book of the prophets. And he had a lot to say. But this is how he starts off in Isaiah chapter 1 and uh, verse 11. Now Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel. Ancient Israel, before Jesus had ever come to the earth, the nation of Israel, they were God's chosen people. They were the people that, 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 uh, that believed in God, in the one true God. And this is what I... Uh, God had to say to Israel through the prophet Isaiah. God said, What makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, Who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing your meaningless gifts and incense of your offerings. The incense of your offerings disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. And fight for the rights of widows. So just to give you a little background here because... 
God is speaking to Israel, and it's a little harsh. I mean, my, my, I grew up knowing that God is a God of love, that when you pray to God, God hears, God listens. God, God is someone who is always there for you. He, he'll never leave you. He'll, he'll, he'll never forsake you. But here I'm seeing that God is a little ticked off with the nation of Israel. I mean, can you believe that God is saying, when you pray, I'm not going to listen. He says, I'm sick and tired of, of your celebrations and your sacrifices and your worship. I'm sick and tired of it. I don't want to see any more of it. I mean, could you imagine if like today God came down, like God came through the door of Generation Church and he was like, you know what? I'm just sick of all that you guys are doing. I mean, we'd be like, whoa, I'm like, this is crazy. But this is what God said to Israel. And this is why this is what happened. At this point in Israel's history, they were at a spiritual low. What they were doing, they were more consumed with their own lives than in their worship unto God. See, what what had happened is they had become religious in their worship unto God, but they had become very secular in their lives everywhere else. So uh, once a week, they would come to the synagogue and they would worship God. But the rest of the week, they, they had nothing to do with God. Once a year, they would come and they would bring their sacrifices of their animals to God. But they weren't good sacrifices. They would come and burn incense onto God. But it was meaningless because it was all this religious act that was going on. See, their hearts that once burned with passion and fire for God had grown cold. And now their worship unto God was just cold and dead. Some would say they had religion, but they didn't have faith. In fact, this is what would happen. They would bring a sacrifice unto God because in the old Jewish law, God required that they bring animal sacrifices to what we call atone for their sins, to, to, to take their place for their sins. And they would bring this unto God and it was almost like it was an act of mockery unto God. This is why. God told the Israelites, he says, when you come and bring a sacrifice, bring your best. Bring perfect, um, uh, unblemished, untarnished animals who aren't diseased, aren't sick. Bring your best to me. But the people of Israel, they wanted to keep the best for themselves. So instead of bringing the best, they brought the worst. Instead of bringing the pure, they brought the impure, the defiled, the tarnished, the polluted. So these Jewish people, what, what they were bringing onto God was not what God required. Now, if you remember in, in week one, if you were here two weeks ago, we talked about pure and genuine worship in the sight of God, which James 1.27 tells us about. We said, we defined it, the word religion wasn't the word that we refer to as religion now, is like world religions. The word religion that James used is the word worship. So we're saying pure and genuine worship in the sight of God. And so we talked about what worship is. It's about caring for others. It's about letting God transform our hearts and and not letting the world corrupt us. But what had happened with these Israelites, they came to God and they were bringing in pure worship. It wasn't pure and genuine to God. 
See, what these Jewish people were doing, they were not bringing their worth onto God. And we define worship as bringing our worth onto God. They were not bringing their worth onto God. They were bringing their leftovers onto God. And so God says, you know what? I've had enough of this. I've had enough of this false worship. I've had enough of this religious behavior. And so God says, if you want to really worship me, if you want to really please me and bring your worship unto me, I'm going to tell you five things that you need to do. And we find them in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. See, God has basically said this, I get more pleasure if you do these five things that are in Isaiah 1, 17, than I will from all your religious worship that you've been doing before. So this is what God tells the Israelites to do. Isaiah 1, 17. God says, learn to do good. Learn to do good. Basically, God is saying to the Israelites, go get an education in how to be good. In how to do good for others. Go be a student of doing good for others. Go learn from the best. Go teach your kids how to be good. You see, the problem is, is for man, we are, we were once good and then sin came into our lives and now we are no longer good. We are not naturally good. In fact, we are naturally selfish. And so in order to do good for other people, then we have to learn to do good. I've got a a little son who is 14 weeks old and you know what? The only thing he's ever done for me in the last 14 weeks is like, give me a smile that just melts my heart. That's it. Do you know what I've done for him in the last 14 weeks? I've done a whole ton of stuff. I mean, stuff that I never thought that I would want to do or have done. But he naturally, as a human being, as cute as a button as he may be, naturally, it's all about him. And they say children until they're about 18 months don't realize that life isn't about them. You know, life, they, they think everything, everything centers around them. And some of you, you got kids, they're like 15, 16, and there's something in life centers around them. But naturally, in our natural instinct, because we are of a sinful nature, we do not naturally do good for other people. And so God is telling the Israelites, go and become a student of goodness. The Bible tells us in in Galatians chapter 5 that one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the fruits of God, of having God in your life, is to show goodness. Goodness. And so God is saying here, go learn to do some good. Make it about being good to others, not all about you. So number one, God says, if you really want to worship me, learn to do good. The second thing that God says in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17, he says, learn to do good and seek justice. Seek justice. This is what he means. Seek judgment. Some translations said seek judgment. Basically, he's saying, let those who do good be rewarded for their goodness. And those who do bad, punish them for doing bad. See, we live in a world where justice is key. We live in the United States where we have a justice system. Where those who do bad are punished. 
those who do good pay a whole lot of taxes, right? That's what we do, right? I'm going to kid it. But we live in a world where there is a justice system. However, when you look at the world around you, you see so many injustices. I think of us, you probably got up this morning and you may have got in the shower or maybe got in a bath. You probably went downstairs into the kitchen and you made yourself some breakfast. Some of you, you couldn't function until you had your coffee. Others, you got some water. You, you, you turned the faucet and, and water came out freely, right? Because we live in a country where, where we have a lot. We, 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 we don't lack, even though sometimes we think we lack. Really, we don't lack. And there's no injustice in, in us having water. But then... You think of a little village or town in Ethiopia where people wake up every morning and they have to walk two, three, four miles just to get impure, dirty water. So maybe that they can feed their family and they could cook some rice or cook some grain or they can wash some of their clothes. And then this dirty, uh, impure, polluted water that their children start to drink, then the children get sick and many children die because of it. Do you know what I think? I think that's an injustice. The fact that we have so much and they have so little, that is an injustice. And you know what God says? Seek justice. I think as Christians, it is our responsibility to see the injustices in this world and help to become part of the solution to solving those injustices. You think of kids who are starving or, you know, I think of kids who just grow up in the wrong neighborhood, that they are born into a family that is dysfunctional and, and, and they have no clue at all what the future is going to hold, but they're going to grow up in this environment that's going to shape them and mold them and not give them the best future or the best uh, environment to grow up in. And I think that's an injustice because that child had no choice in that at all. And I believe as Christians, if we want to have real religion, real faith, faith that is alive, we need to start looking at the injustices of this world and we need to start helping those things. That's why this summer that we're going to be, we are raising money to put a well in a, in a, in a town in Ethiopia. Not that we have any links with that town, not that we'll probably ever go to that town, but because we see an injustice and we believe that the Bible says that when there is injustice, that the people of God should seek justice. So God says, learn to do good. He said, seek justice. Then God told the people of Israel, he said, help the oppressed. Help the oppressed. Or another way to see it is to help Stand up to those who are oppressing others. It means to relieve the pressure on people's lives. Now, fortunately, none of us have ever grown up in a dictatorship. But if you have ever spoken to someone who grew up in a dictatorship, maybe it was a a communist dictatorship or a fascist dictatorship or uh, an Islamic dictatorship, If you ever speak to any of those people, they will say that there was so much pressure on our lives each day. There was this oppression. 
And, it, and we had to watch everything that we did. There were things that we could say and we couldn't say. There was so much pressure on us. It was like we wanted to boil over. And even though we don't live in a dictatorship in this world, in, in, in this country, we do have things that dictate our lives. That we are oppressed. And I think about us as Americans. The oppression that we have is just the oppression of materialism. Growing up in a world where we feel we have to become somebody, we have to do something, we have to make something of ourselves, we have to uh, have so much money in our bank account and so much for retirement and live in so, uh, and buy a house and have a car and have a good education. And, and this thing is like oppressing our lives so that people, they'll work 60, 70 hours a week and won't even spend time with their families because of the pressure that we are on in this country. And God is telling the people of Israel, help the oppressed. One of the things as a church that we can do, we can tell people, you can come to God just as you are. You don't have to earn six figures to come to God, for God to appreciate you or God to love you. You don't have to shape up and become the perfect person. You don't have to go to an Ivy League school for God to appreciate you. I think one of the things that we can tell is that God loves you just the way that you are. And no matter what this world will say that you have to become someone, God just wants you just as you are. I think as a church that there's so much that we can do in our culture, in our society to relieve the pressure. You see single mothers or, or single fathers who, who have so much pressure on them to, 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 to bring uh, money into their house and then feed their kids and then bring up their kids. What as a church can we do to help relieve the pressure? You see people who are just struggling to make ends meet, people who can't cope. People who, who have children or parents who have disabilities. And, and, and the pressure on them is so much. And God says, help the oppressed. So we learn to do good. We seek justice. We help the oppressed. Then God tells the people of Israel to defend the cause of the orphans. Defend the cause of those who no longer have parents. This is what God was saying. He was saying, become the voice for the orphans. Become the champion. Be their champion. Tell everybody about their plight. Get their story out. Remember last week we talked about in James. James says that real religion in the sight of God the Father is caring for orphans and widows in their distress. These were the two uh, people groups that, that were most neglected. The two people groups that, that, that know everybody else forgot about. And they were the ones that fell on the hardest times. And God is saying, defend the cause of the orphans. Let me ask you, when was the last time you thought about the orphans of this world? The kids who were growing up with no, children, with no parents, no mother, no father. We don't think about it much because we don't see it much in, in, in our lives. But I've said this statistics before, that if every single church in the United States just adopted one orphan, just one orphan per church, there'd be no more orphans in the United States left. 
I mean, that's just crazy to think about. Just one orphan per church. There would be no more orphans left in the United States. And do you know what most of the orphans are? They're, 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 they're not the cute little newborn Caucasian kids. They're the children who are 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 from backgrounds that we, we don't know what went on, that they are of color, and people don't even want them. But if we as Christians start to care for the orphans, to be their champion, to, to talk about them, talk about their plight, get their story out there, then you know what God says? says, that's real worship. That is real religion. And one thing as a church that we will always do, we've, ever, we've done since we've, we've, we've started, is that we will support organizations and we've helped organizations and people who will champion the cause of orphans. You know why? Because it's just biblical. Because God commanded us to do it. So learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans. And then finally God says this to the Israelites, fight for the rights of widows. The widows were the other people who were neglected. Everybody forgot about the widows. They were left to defend themselves, often homeless. And God is saying, plead their case, become their advocate, become their lawyer. Those who have fallen on hard times, help them, fight for them that they may have a life once again. And I think about our community, we may not have the issues with the widows because we have things like social security and nonprofits to help. But who are the ones in our community who have fallen on the hardest times who need us to fight for them? See, we love to use this word in the United States. And I understand it because it's part of our constitution, but we, we believe there is a separation between church and state. And, and, and I'm all for that because we don't want to talk about politics in church. Uh, uh, you know, we don't want to be tied to the state like they were in the, in the Middle Ages and there was oppression because of that. But this is what we've done because of that is we've let the government take care of a bunch of things. We've let nonprofits take care of things. So we think about orphans while well, the government can take care of those. We think about the oppressed. Well, nonprofits and the government can take care about those. But when Christ created the church, the church was never meant to be a place that we just go and worship on Sundays. The church was created to become a place that made a difference in the community and it changed the culture. And if we aren't people who do goodness better than everybody else, if we turn a blind eye to injustice, if we pile the pressure on people's lives, if we stop defending the cause of the orphans and the children and stop fighting for those who can't fight for themselves, then I got news. We're just Christian zombies. Our faith is dead. Jesus had something to say about this. It's found in Matthew chapter 25. And every time I read this, it kind of sends shivers down my spine. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 25 verse 31. It says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd will separate uh, uh, he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And let me tell you, you want to be a sheep, you don't want to be a goat. You want to bar, not bleep, right? Verse 34. Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when were you ever hungry and we fed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or or a stranger and we showed you hospitality or naked and gave you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, and this will be Jesus, will say, I will tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Then the king will turn to those on his left, the goats, and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will say, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into an eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Jesus is saying that when you care for others, then it's like you're caring for me. When you refuse to care for others, it's like you're refusing to care for me. You see, if our actions are not reaching out to those who need our help, then the hand of God the Father, the almighty King of Kings, will not reach out to us. For you care when you become a student of goodness. You care by helping those who have been wronged. You care by relieving the pressure on those who are about to break. You care by becoming the voice for those who can't speak for themselves. And you care by standing by those who all else have forsaken. See, this is what Christ demands. This is worship. This type of worship is pure and genuine. It is the type of religion that is fully alive and totally life-changing. So my question to you as I close this morning, and I want you to challenge yourself and ask you this question, am I fully alive or am I a Christian zombie? Am I fully alive or am I a Christian zombie? How terrible would it be for us if one day we get to heaven And God says to you, you refuse to help me. 
go away. And we'll say, but God, we went to church every week. We even volunteered. We even gave money to the church. We'll say, but don't you understand? We brought our kids up to live a moral life. We even said night prayers with our kids every single night. God, I was a good Christian. And Jesus will say, you refused to help me. Go away. He says, your faith was dead. It's like Jesus saying you became a Christian zombie. Why? Because your actions did not follow your faith. And so today, I want us to awake to a new life in Christ. Not a a faith that is dead, but a faith that is alive. And it means that what God has done on the inside, we need to translate on the outside. How God has changed our lives, we need to now go and help others. How God has fed and clothed and given us water when we were thirsty. When we were sick, he came and comforted us. Now we need to go and do that for others. We need to learn to do good. We need to seek justice. We need to help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, and fight for the rights of widows. And then one day, we'll come before heaven, and God will be there and Jesus will look upon us and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but that is what my life is heading towards. I want my life to one day hear those words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. And it starts with caring. And if you care, your faith will come alive. Let's bow our heads in prayer.